Have you ever thought to yourself, man, I'd like to host my own podcast? Well, guess what? You can go to podbean.com slash voices and get everything you need to create, manage, and promote your podcast. I use Podbean every week for voices in my head. There's easy uploading and publishing tools, stunning templates, custom domains, social and promotional tools, an embeddable podcast player, monetization tools, and more. It is your all-in-one podcasting solution. With Podbean, you can create professional podcasts in minutes without any programming knowledge. Best of all, everything is mobile-ready right from the start. So go to podbean.com slash voices. And when you sign up, use the code VOICES and you'll get a sizable discount. Podbean, for your home podcasting. Thank you for listening to Voices in My Head. Welcome to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of me, Rick Lee James. I'm a recording artist, a singer, a songwriter, an author, a worship leader, and an ordained minister in the Church of the Nazarene. The Voices in My Head podcast is where I discuss music, movies, books, pop culture, theology, and more with friends, colleagues, and sometimes just by myself. Now make sure to let me know what you think of today's episode by leaving me a review on iTunes or by tweeting at me at Rick Lee James on Twitter. And please join my mailing list at rickleejames.com where you can receive an email every time a new episode is released. And by the way, in case you're interested in a daily dose of kindness and encouragement beyond this podcast, I also run the Twitter account at Mr. Rogers Say, where I post daily quotes from Fred Rogers, one of the voices in my head. Well, I guess that's it for the intro, so sit back, relax, and listen to the latest episode of Voices in My Head. Welcome back to Voices in My Head. As always, I'm your host, Rick Lee James, and I'm so glad that you're here for another great conversation today. My guest today on Voices in My Head is John Suntress. John is a pioneer in the realm of podcasting, and his show, Word Balloon, truly is one of the greatest comic book conversation shows ever made. Word Balloon features one-on-one interviews with the writers and artists behind today's pop culture favorites, the creative mind minds behind today's hottest comics, films, and television. They tell behind-the-scenes stories, providing a DVD-like commentary on their works without spoiling the stories. I have been a Word Balloon listener for over a decade, and I am thrilled to dig a little deeper today and find out more about the man who created it. He's Midtown High's very own Principal Suntress, (laughs) John (laughs) Suntress. Welcome to Voices in My Head. Rick, a pleasure. I really appreciate you reaching out and asking me on. I have needle-dropped your music, and I'm a fan. It's uh, you, you make great music, man. It's well, a pleasure. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that, and uh, it's so good to be able to talk to you today. Uh, what people probably don't know when they listen to my show is that your podcast was one of the in- inspirations for my show, actually. Oh, wow. And I, I just loved listening to it. I travel as a musician. Well, I, I used to before the COVID-19 <laughs> pandemic yeah. happened. Um, but you were always one of my companions when I would drive. I would listen to podcasts with various interviews. And when I got the idea to do a 
show, I thought, man, I think I could do that and do some conversations about various things. And so I landed on the name Voices in My Head because I didn't want to be stuck to just one topic. And, and sure. I, I love a lot of different things. And yours is, is one that I have just listened to again and again over the years. So many great episodes. So I'm really glad to have a chance to speak with you and let some of my listeners who may not be familiar with what you do know a little bit more about it today. High praise, man. No, thank you very much. And it's very nice to hear when uh, someone like yourself says that uh, my show inspired you to do what we do. And yeah, yeah, it's it's great to learn about people. It's great to delve be you know into the creative process and find out the influences of our favorite creative people and what makes them tick. Well, thanks so much. Well, I don't do it or even claim to do it nearly as well as you do, and I don't have a great radio voice like you do. That's one of my <laughs> favorite things about your show, for sure. But to use a comic book term today, I'd, I'd love to dive in a little bit as we start just about your secret origin. Uh, sure. I, I wonder if you would mind sharing just some of your backstory with us, maybe kind of where you grew up and how you got started in radio and podcasting, things like that. Well, uh, I grew up in suburban Chicago. Uh, I've lived in Chicago most of my life, and um, I loved radio. You know, radio, especially information radio, was kind of the Internet before the Internet. It still is, and I was fascinated by um, even the news stations and literally would spend summer nights at 3 in the morning, and I'm like, wow, they are like, you know, giving us information at the moment, 24 Mm. hours. Didn't matter. Seven days, you know, no breaks for holidays or anything like that. They were always there. So I was always fascinated by radio. Um, and uh, and also the flexibility of radio in terms of uh, the creative side. I really appreciated uh, a lot of sketch comedy and um, radio dramas as a little kid and really thought, wow, you could really create a world just with audio. Yeah. So I really was at a very young age like, this is what I want to do. In fact... Uh, man, and again, this showing my age. I'm in my mid-50s. For the bicentennial, my uh, our school did a big play, our, our uh, middle school, and uh, they asked me to be the narrator. And I think it was like seventh grade, something hmm. like that, maybe sixth grade. Um, no, actually, maybe fifth grade now that I think about it. But anyway, um, the teachers couldn't have been like kinder. And they're like, John, I was the narrator of the of the pageant, I suppose. Because sure. uh, there was singing and acting and stuff, and uh, and they're like, my God, you you should really consider being a radio person. You know, I'm a, I'm a fifth grader for God's sake, and uh, I'm like, oh, that sounds cool, and I like the radio. Maybe I will do that eventually. <laughs> and um, and we had a high school radio station, so I was very lucky. So really, at 14, I even got uh, I went to the FCC and got my they don't offer them anymore, but third class radio license that you needed to operate uh, equipment back then, 1979. Um, I still have it framed uh, because it was pretty cool. Wow, that's <laughs> and, great. Yeah, so I did four years of high school radio, and then I went to Illinois State University, downstate Illinois, central Illinois, and um, worked down there at the college radio station. Uh, got involved with a professional station and started doing um, soft rock back then, <laughs> uh, you know, as they would say. Yeah, I mean, it was oldies, and it was easy listening music. Uh, that was a lot of fun. And so I was a DJ for the first couple of years of my radio career. Um, then I came to Chicago and um, lucked out and uh, broke into sports talk radio. Hmm. And my uh, particular sport where I really did uh, get to do a lot was boxing, of all things. Sure. And I would go to Vegas and Atlantic City and New York and all over the country and get to cover um, fights. And this was in the 90s. 
so I did a good portion of uh, Mike Tyson's fights and Lennox Lewis and Evander Holyfield and wow. uh, yeah, Julio Cesar Chavez, great fighters. Yeah. Roy Jones. I mean, really, it was a. I think it was really the last great decade for boxing. I mean, the, the last twenty years have been kind of up and down, and there have been significant fights. But I do think that was the last time that uh, the sport had the nation's interest year-round rather than, oh, look, uh, Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao are going to fight five years mm. ago, whatever it was. Um, so, yeah, it was Sports Talk Radio. And um, I was working at sporting I, – I spent 10 years working in Chicago at the local sports station. Then I was with a network that was uh, Sporting News Radio. And Paul Allen, one of the Microsoft billionaires, uh, bought uh, the Sporting News magazine, the great sports magazine over a century old, and um, – this uh, one-on-one sports radio network and merged the two, kept the branding of Sporting News. And um, it was a typical internet company where people are like, you know, the people who worked at the company, hey, if you got a great idea, let us know. And, you know, maybe maybe we can work it into our bigger scheme. And Paul Allen had created the Science Fiction Museum in Seattle. And, I had, and every now and then I would check out the website. And I saw one weekend they were doing um, – they had cartoonists, local cartoonists come – and work with kids and have like a cartoonist workshop for kids. Nice. So yeah, and this was um, 2005, and podcasting had already started. Adam Curry started in 2004, and we all point to this great uh, article in Wired magazine about podcasting from February of 2005. And so I just suggested to the company, and I'm like, hey, you know, for the museum, would you guys be interested in any sort of kind of nerd culture? podcast i'm like you know i'd i'd be happy to host it it'd help promote the museum i'm like all the different facets and in my mind i'm like oh man maybe i'll be able to talk to you know star trek actors or somebody yeah. from star wars or something like that and they were very nice and they're like no thanks but no thanks but you know that's a great idea you should really pursue it yourself hmm. and i was already like yeah no kidding i'm, I'm gonna do it no matter <laughs> whether i'm working <laughs> with you or not so uh, i figured out how to do it i started war balloon may 10th of uh, t- 2005 so yeah okay. I just uh, celebrated my uh, 15th anniversary back in May yeah. and um, and yeah luckily I had enough radio background because by then I had worked in radio for in, in Chicago radio for 15 years wow. and um, you know five years earlier down in central Illinois so I kind of knew how to do reasonable interviews and not be uh, uh, you know or whatever a lot of long pauses and dead air and kind of, uh, you know, again, knew, knew how to conduct a conversation. Sure. So, and luckily, as I, I always use uh, the great old comedian George Burns when he talked about uh, the great radio comedians and how popular they were. And he said, oh, we were all in the top ten. There were only eight of us. And that mm. was that was kind of the deal with, with podcasting. There were so few people doing comic book podcasting, let alone interview comic book podcasting. And that was kind right. of my way in. And uh, luckily, a lot of the people that I've spoken to uh, in the ensuing years have become, uh, you know, real players in the television and film fields and novelists as well. I mean, I, you know, God, here's the you want the uh, the quadruple threat. My buddy Greg Rucka, who I've known for 15 years, right. was a novelist, broke into comics, started writing Batman, uh, did his own creator own comics, among them the comic book Stumptown which has since become an ABC television show, had a great first year, got renewed for a second year. And uh, on Friday, as we're recording, uh, Netflix will premiere a movie, The Old Guard, with Charlize Theron, a great 
uh, military action movie. Oh, that's and, right. And uh, based on Greg's comics. So uh, Greg's got uh, film, his foot in, and he wrote the screenplay for it. Not only is it based on his work, but he did get to write the screenplay. So there's film, television, comics, and novels. And that's kind of the four that I like to cover on Word Balloon. And it's, you know, or Jeff Loeb, my good friend Jeff, who, uh, you know, up until this year, after Kevin Feige kind of took over all things Marvel, mm-hmm. comics, film, and television, he yeah. was the president of Marvel Television. Um, you know, I mean, Robert Kirkman is a good acquaintance, uh, not as close as some of my other friends, but I remember when Robert's like, yeah, I got this idea, man, for a zombie thing. It's called The Walking Dead. And it's like, <laughs> all right, whatever, Robert. That's, you know, good luck with that. Whatever. I'm not a big zombie guy, but okay. You know, and look where Robert is now. Robert's the, jo- you know, he's the George uh, Lucas of zombies, for gosh sake. Exactly, say. yeah. So, so, yeah, so there, and Bendis, of course, my dear friend Brian Bendis is kicking butt and, you know, doing well. I'm trying to keep myself... Rick, because I, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a potty mouth, so I'll try. I will watch this for, your, for the benefit of your audience and everything. Oh, that, we appreciate it. No problem. Absolutely, man. That, that's all right. Well, so, yeah, there you go. I mean, that's. I mean, I started in '05, and luckily, like I said, there were so few others out there. And luckily, through word of mouth, creator to creator, people were really kind and said, "Oh no, talk to Suntress. He knows what he's doing." Because, as I always say, the greatest thing and worst thing about podcasting is. And I mean both ends of this. Anyone can do it. Yeah. And and you, there is no gatekeeper. It is your own tolerance for doing it because I know some people will do it for a little while and be like, yeah, all right, that's enough, and they get kind of bored with it or frustrated. They maybe don't aren't aren't hitting enough people that they want or whatever. But coming as I did so early, um, I love the term pioneer. I absolutely will claim that and, and yeah. wear that as a badge of honor because so many celebrities will be like, oh man. I've been doing this forever. Really? When'd you start? Oh, 2010. It's like, I got five years on you, but whatever. That's cool. Yeah. You know, so, uh, yeah, so it's great. Well, and truly, you you had, you really came at a good time doing the podcast, but also your show is is really a notch above. As you said, there's both ends of the spectrum. There are people that really probably shouldn't be doing podcasts that do them (laughs) on many levels. And, uh, you know, I actually think I first discovered your show through the Spider-Man Crawl Space podcast because I I was listening to them probably when I first discovered what a podcast was. I had recently gotten – this will take us back to when, you know, there weren't iPhones yet. There were just iPods, and and I had like an iPod, and I remember listening to that show. And one of them on that show mentioned uh, the Bendis tapes, uh, and I don't know if they were called the Bendis tapes at that time, but you know, just the the shows that you would do and the long conversations that you would have with with Bendis. And I thought, well, I like I like him. I want to, you know, I was into the Ultimate Spider-Man at that time, and really it was because of of them uh, and and the draw of Bendis that led me to your show in the first place. And I just never looked back <laughs> ever since then. It's a it's a great uh, way to have the those conversations and I love the long form especially when I'm on the road or something and I've got a long trip ahead of me it's great to just kind of turn on the conversation and, and you feel like you're a part of it in some way even though you're just listening in um, and so it was a really great format I think that you discovered the name was great word balloon it, it automatically makes you think comic books and the whole genre that you were dealing with in those ways and so I've just really enjoyed it I, know, I uh... Go. I'm sorry. Please. No. No. Continue, no. Go ahead. Please continue. More about me. <laughs> no. Yeah. More about you. Exactly. No. I. I want you to feel free to to interject for well, sure. This all, is very all, relaxed. All I was going to say is what you like about the show. Um, years ago, the great film critic Gene Siskel from Chicago 
we had a we had a great afternoon radio show, really funny. Uh, hmm. And and both guys are still active in Chicago radio, but are no longer a team. Steve Dahl and Gary Meyer. Okay. And and uh, Gene Gene Siskel said the great thing about listening to Steve and Gary in the afternoons when you're driving around is like having two really funny friends in the backseat of your car <laughs> cracking you up while you're driving. And that really stuck in my head for the really longest time. And it's like, that's the kind of radio show I want to do. And yeah. essentially, Word Balloon is the radio show that I've always wanted to do without having the restrictions of having to break every six minutes for a commercial break or even in public radio uh, I am very, I, I uh, you know, you saw me on camera before we started recording and stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm a big guy. I'm a big, heavy guy. So I do things to excess. And I, having come from, God, now 30 years in radio and having to kind of, you know, keep it short. Don't forget there's a commercial coming up and stuff like that. It is so nice to have a free deep dive conversation with no restrictions. And the other example I always give is, if I had gotten George Lucas to come on Word Balloon, maybe he will someday. Who knows? Yeah. But but you know, if you had that chance, uh, you don't want a radio exec going. Well, you know, uh, you probably ought to keep that to twelve minutes. And meanwhile, George Lucas is willing to spend two hours with you. Bendis is a perfect perfect example of that. It's like if you are really into Bendis's writing or anyone that I, one of my guests, why would you limit yourself hmm. to a half hour, ten minutes, forty minutes, whatever? And I also know that um, the younger generations are, and our society is geared to being more of a short attention span thing. I'm shrugging right now. All I can say is I am like, hey, if you, if, if uh creator, like let's say Bendis, wants to mm -hmm. sit down and is willing to spend two hours, I can spend two hours, I'll find a way of listening to that whole two hours. I mean, my God, all of my favorite podcasters from Gilbert Gottfried to Joe Rogan, and people like that, they have two-hour and three-hour conversations. And if the if the conversation is good, it will hold your attention. And there's something called the pause button. Yeah. And I do that all the time. I was listening, running errands this morning, and I'm 30 minutes into a 90-minute Gilbert Gottfried episode. Okay, I'll get back to it when I'm shopping or working out or something like that. So, no, it's wonderful. And I, and I just think that there is so little long-form entertainment that is worth listening to. So that's... That's the ambition. So to hear you say that, I, I, I'm glad that I am succeeding with you. Well, and you do a great job with the aspect that you give them a chance to talk, too. You're a really good, not only conversationalist, but I think you're a good listener, too, which is so much of what podcasting is when you're interviewing people. And uh, it probably gives them an outlet that as writers or people who are in film are, are so often behind the camera – I'm sure they don't always get a chance to talk about these things the way they would like. They're doing the work, but it, I'm sure they don't always have a sounding board like that. that again, that's the ambition. I, um, I've i spent a lot of time in press junkets with actors, and they're very nice people. And, I, and this sounds almost condescending, and I don't mean it to. But I've seen and heard enough actors, especially – well, actually, either whether it's episodic television or films – say, well, you know, at the end of the day, the writers really, you know, kind of give me the script and I go with that. And not to say that they don't put themselves into the characters, but I believe the keepers of story are the writers, are the directors, and um, and the artists included in that in, in the, uh, from a comic sense as well. Because 
they're the camera. They are shooting the scenes that we see. So the emotions you are uh, looking at when you read a great comic and stuff, that's the artist. And, uh, you know, so I really admire that. And like you say, they don't normally get the forum. And in fact, for the old guard, um, Greg, the, the Netflix film that Rucka made, uh, you know, Greg kind of pulled strings with marketing and stuff. And they're like, so you just want to talk to our screenwriter? And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, you know, as much as I would love to meet and have a conversation with Charlize Theron, uh, and I'm sure she's a lovely person, and I've been a longtime fan of her work, but uh, no, I want to know about the story. I want to know, because that's the story, the play's the thing, as Shakespeare said, and it's yeah. the truth. I mean, it really is, man. Um, and yeah, I just think, and also the great thing is, um, comics in particular, and one of the reasons why film and television are taking such notice of them of late is all the people now that are writing grew up on comics and went from when it was a medium that was geared to children mm-hmm. and then it was geared to kind of a little older children and stuff. And But, but really, I, I think the storytelling has evolved, the characterizations have evolved, and they're complex mm-hmm. in the best possible way, in the best way that novels are and film and television is. And I want to help specifically when I do talk to comic people um, if if in some small way I'm giving them the forum the forum to speak and legitimize what they do, and it's so great. Uh, it's been a pleasure, really, in these last 15 years, go from people being like, okay, so you talk about comic books, other adults, <laughs> and and really, as you know, the top shows, the water cooler shows, are the comic book created shows, mm-hmm. and like the the success of the CW. Uh, my, one of my last full-time radio jobs, it, literally, it would be great getting uh, office workers at the radio station going, okay, explain reverse flash to me. <laughs> and I'm like, sure, sit down. <laughs> this is going right. to take a minute, but no problem. And it was great. And really, God, I really like Gotham. I'm really surprised I like Gotham. And, or mm-hmm. one of my best friends who did like comics uh, us growing up when the Justice League animated series happened. Uh, his wife walked in on the two of us watching an episode, and she's like, you're watching cartoons? <laughs> and he's like, hon, honest, I know, but like the writing and the acting is just, I, all I can say is, seriously, this is as like, good as any television show right now. And yeah. again, the Japanese were already doing it, you know, mm. anime and stuff like that. Um, thank God the American culture has caught up, and even as you might know in recent interviews, talking to... Patrick Schumacher, the showrunner of the Harley Quinn animated series, or James Tucker, who is the supervising writer-producer of the DC animated films. It's like, no, there has really been this evolution, not only in the comics, but also in the TV and film-inspired product. The Marvel Universe speaks for itself. Nobody, it's, uh, I, I, quote, I always quote movies. It's uh, uh, Milo Ventimiglia uh, in Rocky Balboa, the, the, the last movie where Rocky's fighting. And he's like, nobody's laughing anymore. And it's like, yeah, nobody's laughing at comic books anymore. They get it. And it's yeah. like, no, we really are, you know, we, uh, meaning all of us comic book fans, we represent the mainstream now. And that's really cool. And it's exciting. And it's a thrill to have gone from when Sid City and Batman Begins were happening. And were, were well-received movies, but it was kind of the start. I mean, I, you know, I guess you could say Blade and the Wesley Snipes movies, re- I think really the start of when yeah. when the movies really started happening. But, uh, but yeah, at least when I was thinking about doing this in 2005, those were the movies on my mind, Batman Begins and Sin City. And it's like, 
no, something's happening right now. And you mm-hmm. very rarely catch a wave at the right time. But I, I think I was I was fortunate. And then with my radio background, was prepared for it. Yeah, it's it's a really weird thing that has happened over, really, I guess, the last decade especially, once Marvel really blew yep. up. And now everybody is a at least comic book hero fan, whether they read the comics or not. Right. And it's, it's so strange that you're exactly right. People that would never have talked to me uh, about subjects that related to anything comic book before, now we just have conversations because they're into it, and they some of them have never cracked a comic book before, but they love the movies and yep. they enjoy the TV shows, and you know you've got things like uh, like the boys that came on uh, Amazon, you know, show, shows like that that are even. Uh, not the mainstream. They're they're more obscure. You have to be a, a little bit more entrenched in comics to know those things. And and now you don't have to be quite as entrenched in comics because they're right there and they're being uh, provided on those platforms. So it's fascinating to see. Um, there are times I don't know if you feel this way at all. There are times I really love that, and there are times I feel like, yeah. I also kind of miss when I was the only one that knew about that. You know what I mean? Sure, like, we're all like that. I mean, as a musician, you can appreciate that. I mean, yeah. Sure. I think, you know, we used to, like, when, you know, like U2. I mean, I, I used to love U2 when they were, in when I was in high school, mm-hmm. and uh, Boy and War, those first albums, and they were angry, and, oh, you know, I will follow, and yes, I understand their political message, and I get mm-hmm. it. And then by the time of... Um, Oh God! Uh, after Unforgettable Fire, some of the some of the early '90s stuff, I'm like, mm-hmm. God, you know, get off the bus, man. This used to be the <laughs> cool bus. I mean, so no, I, I totally get it, and I agree. Yeah. I want to mention the boys. What I love about the boys, and I think is interesting, it really is a parody of the success of the Marvel Cinematic Universe because yeah. it really does treat that group of of heroes as this amazing marketing tool, as the films themselves are. And the merchandise machine that they've become, but also, you know, again, this really dark human side that they are keeping from the public. So it's this great subversive parody of, I think, like I said, the success of what's happening. And and I don't even think that was part of the original intent of the comic book that the guys were writing and stuff. But, um, yeah, I just think and, – and, and that's the other great thing about adaptation is mm-hmm. – what do you do with it? I mean, I still like um, the uh, the Robbie Rodriguez uh, Sin City films. I think mm-hmm. they're terrific. But the, mm-hmm. and, and or Zach, even I, I'm in the minority, but I like Zack Snyder's Watchmen movie. They're yeah. very literate adaptations of the source material. But I kind of like the license uh, to adjust things for a film or television that the successful programs or the, even the critically accepted programs have been able to do, where they kind of, yeah, you know this, but we're going to change things. God, the Watchmen adaptation on HBO was just fascinating. And man, that was high stakes because everything, including the Zack Snyder film that has come since the original comic, all of us diehard fans are like, yeah, nice try, but uh, you kind of missed the point. I mean, again, that's the minority feeling. Like I said, I still like, I think Snyder's film ages quite well, the the 2009 Watchmen movie. Mm -hmm. Um, but but again, it, like everyone had to be hip to the idea, and then Lindelof comes along and does that those great nine episodes of the HBO show, and it's like good for you, man, because that is a tall order. That's like yeah. one of the greatest comic stories ever, and even Dave Gibbons himself uh, 
and I'm so glad because I remember when before Watchmen came out, the DC prequels that they made about ten years ago. Um, Dave was very careful with his words and really mm-hmm. kept his cl- cards close to the vest in terms of his opinion. I think because of that, you could sense that he wasn't happy that DC was doing it while it was certainly within their rights. Uh, he could not say enough great things about the HBO show, and that mm-hmm. was really delightful to hear when he was on my show back in December. Yeah, and man, what a what a punch to the gut they start with even in that series. The very first episode yeah. starting with the Tulsa massacre yeah. that that honestly maybe maybe it's just me, but I don't think it was. I didn't even realize that was part of our history, you know, as one, one of the only parts of the show that actually was real life starting off. And I I just showed that opening scene uh to my wife not too long ago just because we're in the middle of this very significant moment that we're in right now yes. where people are are fed up with the status quo of the way things have been and um and I showed that to my wife and I I said you know I had never heard of this until this watchman show and we sat down for the opening 10 minutes or whatever that was which is a very hard 10 minutes to watch and Agreed. you're just you're just seeing the the bombers come in and the people being drugged through the street and you're going this was real? Like, we really did this to them? You know, it's it's unbelievable. Um, so it's one of those examples where I think you can actually use the medium for something very important and very significant. And I think partially maybe one of the reasons that there's an appetite for conversation for change right now, um, I don't know that this is entirely true but i think it's some true that a lot of people saw programs like that and thought you know what we need to have this conversation <laughs> that we have not had in a long time and uh, and i i think that's a powerful tool that something like you know the creativity with the watchman story that they did in that series it's it, it can be something very powerful i think so um, i agree and i and i also think that uh, thankfully uh beyond the watchman um a great comic book series from image by uh, Sanford Green and Dave Walker and uh, and uh, Chuck Brown as well. It's called Bitter Root, and it is mm. an interesting supernatural thing that happens during the Harlem Renaissance. And again, it's these portions of Black history that just were never given a mainstream platform to explore and discover. And this is, I mean, again, these are the positives that are coming out of the zeitgeist in in terms of. Uh, the different people of color telling these stories and having the pla- – I mean, we're, we're always looking for and, – and I say this in a clinical sense, not to mitigate the sadness of some of these stories, but we are mm-hmm. always looking for intense, interesting stories. And I do think that there is a hunger for that, uh, a, 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 a machine like the Hollywood system – that there's never enough good stories. There's never yeah. enough interesting things to explore and exploit in in terms of a marketing way, not a crass way. When I say exploit, yeah. and uh, and that's the thing. So I do think that uh, thankfully uh, the 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 power brokers recognize that there's a significant demographic that has long been ignored that continues to be a big part of certainly the American culture, but really the global culture of we have stories as well that you haven't heard and they would uh, shock you. They would inspire you. Uh, they would entertain you at the at the end of the day. And that's the name of the game. And I do think that it's great that um, again, we are reminded of these terrible things that happen, 
We should be reminded of those. This is no different than Germany coming to terms with its own atrocities over the uh, decades I, and, and any other culture that uh, had a superiority over others. And, and we can't forget that because, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a Greek American. So my, uh, although my, my ancestors were white, they were immigrants. So, you know, they weren't pilgrims. They weren't, they weren't the, you know, the, 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 the class that, of the founding fathers or the ethnicity of the founding fathers. So they had their limitations as well. Not as high as the other people of color or orientation or women, certainly. But I mean, that's the thing. It's like, no, this is this is what makes America great is hearing all these different stories. So it's good that all of it's coming to light. And, and there's another one I was thinking of that is a, a graphic novel, and I don't know if you came across it, but he might be a, a great guest for your show if you haven't had him already. Uh, his name is Ben Passmore, and he wrote and uh, was actually the illustrator for a book called Your Black Friend, and uh, it's it's a little short graphic novel that has a lot to do with things that we as white people just don't understand because we're not living it, you know, right. and yeah. it's the kind of thing that, you know, in, in the position that I'm in, you know, I, I can try to get somebody to read a book, you know, on, on black liberation theology or something because of the field I'm in, but they won't read it, you know, but I could, yeah. but I could hand them, uh, I could hand them a, a, a shorter book, graphic novel like this and say, hey, if you want to spend 10 minutes and completely have your world transformed by things you've never thought about before, like read read Your Black Friend by Ben Passmore, and he's going to enlighten you, you know, in, in a, a quick way. So I think there is a lot of power to the medium uh, when, you know, when it's used properly, and, and yeah. I, I think that's a really good thing. Well, even, well, even as mundane, real fast, like Will Eisner, you know, I don't know if you know, but like um, – between when he created the spirit in the 40s and into the early 50s, for decades he worked for the government and created this magazine called PS Magazine because he convinced the military uh, specifically that instead of handing uh, um, servicemen boring technical manuals explaining things of how to make things or whatever or, or build things or proper procedure, put them in comic book form, put a little humor in there. And, he, and for decades – he was doing this for the government, and then when he was done with it, he turned it over to Joe Kubert, and Joe Kubert continued to do it. But yeah, no, I mean, that's the thing, man. It's like comics are entertaining. It's usually the first way that we teach children how to read. That's how I learned how to read. I'm sure that yeah. was your case as well. Same here. Yeah, man. I mean, that's that's the great – and, it, you know, seriously, my dad had a ninth-grade education, and, um, and I was lucky to uh, be a child when Seth, Sesame Street was happening. And um, first on the air. And they had a thing in conjunction with the newspapers where they ran comic strips to help you learn how to read. And I, as a, as a kindergartner, I was reading always a grade ahead through third grade where they had me in a, in a grade above because my reading skills were, were superior. And they're like, we don't want to hold him back. Let him read. <laughs> and, and I know that sparked my imagination and excitement. And, uh, yeah, so, I, you know, again, you're right. Comics, comics can teach and do it in an entertaining way that are much easier to d digest than a novel or, or a technical manual. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, I, I want to actually talk before we uh, go 
too far in our conversation today uh, because I just don't have a chance to, to talk to you about some of the great interviews all the time that I've enjoyed over the years. So I kind of made a list of a few that I really enjoyed uh, and, and would love to just bring those up to you and kind of get your feel. What was that like type of thing? Sure, <laughs> Because there's some good ones. But just before I do that, I, I wonder if you could maybe help us understand a little bit um, ways that we can help you as listeners a little bit because you're doing the podcast right now and after a long time in radio and, and I can let you explain it um, we've all been hit by pretty hard times right now due to the, the COVID-19 and all of that but there is a Patreon account that you have patreon.com slash word balloon and I'd love for you just maybe kind of in the middle of our conversation tell us a little bit kind of about your present situation and ways that we can help through things like Patreon to help you continue what you're doing. No, thanks Rick, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I mean honestly it's it, a lot of people have uh, found themselves in this situation. I was in Chicago radio for uh, many years, and uh, my most recent job, it wasn't a full-time job, but I was uh, working at the CBS news station doing traffic reporting. And it was much more interesting than I thought it would be, but it wasn't what I expected to be doing in radio. I'm mm -hmm. a conversationalist. I expected to be doing hosting talk shows and producing talk shows and things. But it was a good job, and I didn't, I didn't mind. Well, you know, again, um, we were 24-7 with traffic, uh, but because of COVID, uh, there weren't as many cars on the road. It's certainly not late at night. So uh, they cut back on uh, several shifts. Uh, it's seven days a week. There was no longer an evening or a nighttime or an overnight shift. So that cut a lot of hours and I was downsized. I wasn't furloughed. I was, I was, you know, they're like, Hey, we're sorry. We just, we have to cut you. And a lot of people that are still employed there aren't were even working weekly and might only work two days a month or something as far as part timers. So, um, luckily Word Balloon exists and I had already had, um, this, uh, Patreon, a crowdfunding, monthly uh, thing, kind of in the same model as uh, sponsoring public television or public radio. And mm -hmm. so I reached out to my audience. Again, I've, I've been doing it for 15 years. And honestly, it's like, hey, if you can spare a dollar a month, if you like what I do, can you spare a dollar a month? Can you spare the price of a comic book a month? Is what I, the hours, because I do, I mean, even prior to the pandemic, I was putting out about 12 episodes at least a month. And I mean, now I'm doing, you know, four to five episodes a week. So now I'm up to around 20 episodes a month. And it's like, okay, is that giving you enough entertainment in that same hobby sphere that your comic reading is happening and stuff? Is it worth the price of a comic book? Is it worth the price of a dollar? Give me a dollar a month if you can, if you can afford it. Because, hey, man, like you said, we're all struggling. So, so yeah, it's patreon.com slash word balloon. Uh, I'm very pleased that I, I want to keep the show free. And I and I think it makes sense because I still want to build my audience. I'm sure. I am not Joe Rogan. I am not Adam Carolla. Name your favorite mainstream celebrity. I'm not Conan O'Brien, as I think of mainstream uh, people that have podcasts and do quite mm -hmm. well at them and stuff. Um, right. But yeah, I just I I wouldn't. I'd like to be. I mean, my ambition has always been: can I make this a full time concern? That's not anyone's responsibility. But if you enjoy it. Yeah, you know, it's like it's a tip. Hey, it's no different than tipping your waiter or whatever. So it's right. like, yeah, you know, and again, I'm not greedy. I don't want anyone to spend money they don't have. Can you spare 12 bucks a year? I mean, it's that it's that yeah. simple. And, uh, you know, and that's kind of my humble hope in terms of asking. And I feel weird because, I mean, again, I came from commercial radio where it's like, hey, everything's three and it's underwritten. I have sponsors and they help and everything. But the patrons really do a big share of it as well. And uh, I'm very thankful for that. And it's uh, 
Right now it's going well. It's allowing me to uh, figure out other things. I, I think uh, I will be transcribing. I'm in the process of transcribing my interviews and uh, making a few books. Maybe I, I could see this almost being an annual, uh, yeah. given the amount of interviews that I've done over the years. And I do think it is interesting to see the tra trajectory of careers of where a lot of these creatives have started and their thoughts on these characters. Because we do. We all think about these characters beyond the stories. And mm -hmm. it is like, especially if we are passionate about some of these characters, we think about Batman beyond him punching the Joker. And we think about his psychology or Superman's psychology or the Marvel heroes. And I do think that there is a very passionate group of fans that's why they've made the TV shows and the films and stuff. And it's just um, it's interesting to hear the people that write the stories what they think about the characters and mm -hmm. how they and how they go beyond what they're able to say on the page. Greg Rucka, I mean, my God, hasn't written a Batman story. I well, I'm sure he might have written one for the Detective 1000 that's coming up 10 1027, but um, you know, not a regular monthly Batman story for years, but he still has thoughts about Batman that we explore in our conversations. It's interesting. It's, again, Bendis was Superman and Spider-Man, the Avengers, the various characters, the Legion and the, the Young Justice team and stuff. Bendis has a lot of thoughts about those characters, and some people agree, and they some people disagree. But it's interesting, and I do think the audience wants to hear about them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's some some great conversations still to be had after oh, yeah. all these years with, with so many great people, for sure. Well, you know, let's talk about some of those conversations that you have had. And by the way, uh, for the listeners, you can go to patreon.com slash wordballoon, uh, as we already talked about. It, it would be great if you could support John and his work. But I'm also going to make sure that we have links to everything I can think of pertaining to what John does at voicesinmyheadpodcast.com on this episode page. So if you Thanks, have a man. chance and just want to have like an easy place to click all the places at once, you can do that. Uh, but let's let's talk, first of all, because um, I want to ask you about some of your favorite moments, and, and I'm going to give you a second to kind of think about that while while I ask you about some of my favorite moments on sure. your show, if that makes sense. Uh, because you've had some guests that I really enjoy, um, and one thing, this is going to be actually not pertaining to comic books necessarily at all, uh, but it's just so unique to find something like this. My family, we have recently rediscovered the Beverly Hillbillies through the IMDB app, okay? <laughs> and my, my son is at the he's seven years old so this is like the first time he's ever seen black and white tv anyway Terrific, yeah. uh, but it's but it's hilarious you know it's oh, you yeah. watch it and it's still just so funny um and i remember one of the the really interesting interviews you had was with max bayer jr who played jethro yes. on the show yes. and you re-aired it i think it was originally a radio broadcast that it you was. did but you re-aired it on word balloon and it seems like and I, i'd have to go back and listen to it a little bit that he didn't want to talk about the Beverly Hillbillies at all, but he would talk about his dad, who was a boxer, and I would just love to hear what what was that like for you to to have a chance to get to talk to uh, to Max Bayer Jr. Well, he was great, and honestly, it, he, I the timing of the interview was during when Ron Howard's movie Cinderella Man about James Braddock came out, and Max Bayer is the villainous champ that's de depicted in the film, right. and um, okay. and there's a the, uh, again this is. The thing about Hollywood is a lot. Some people really think that when they see a fictionalized version of true events, that they're watching a documentary. Hmm. And, and I have a lot of sadly sports guys that like saw Raging Bull and really thought everything in there was like you know absolutely it happened. Now it was based on Lamada's book, 
but you know it's also Lamada's point of view and there's a little truth maybe in there and some not truth artistic license even more so in Cinderella Man and this is when Sporting News Radio I had done those interviews for the Sporting News Radio they had Ron Howard on uh, the morning show and I said you got to ask about his depiction of Max Bear Senior the former mm. heavyweight champion and I said because they really make him out to be an arrogant jerk mm. and the reality is as I knew it from People like Muhammad Ali's former trainer manager, Angelo Dundee, and uh, my friend Bert Sugar of Boxing Illustrated. Um, like, Max was Max Sr. was one of the nicest guys in boxing. He absolutely lost to Braddock, but it's, he didn't take him seriously. And that's depicted in the movie. But he wasn't a jerk. And also, unfortunately, Max killed two guys in the ring. Mm. Uh, just wow. from being so strong and them not being up to the fights. And um, he's proud of it in the films. But the reality was, it really upset him. I mean, he started chain-smoking from it, and it literally haunted him for the rest of his life, as I would imagine that killing someone with your bare hands might actually do. I can only suppose. So I wanted to give um, Max Jr., Jethro, the chance to, uh, not to to mean if I refer to him as Jethro, but yeah, yeah, you know, to, to say, hey, man, look, I, I knew he was bummed about the way Ron had done the movie. And, and, and you know, Junior is no dummy. He comes from Hollywood. He understands artistic license and everything. But he's like, my dad wasn't like that. And I'm like, hey, you want a chance to, uh, like, plead your father's case? Let's have a conversation. So that's mm-hmm. what it primarily was about. And I have um, collected a lot of my old boxing interviews, and I started a big bout podcast and um, I've walked away from it temporarily just because I really want it to be more about boxing history rather mm-hmm. than the fights of the moment, even though right now there are very few fights of the moment. Only top rank right now is back in the boxing business. Um, but that said, it was such a great conversation. And, yeah, I just uh, – he was terrific. And he really – Max was a, Max Sr. was a complicated guy. Hmm. Go to the sun and hear the story, and I and I did. I, I'm glad you pointed that out because it is one of my favorite interviews I've ever done. Uh, hmm. He was he was incredible, and uh, yeah, I was just glad to give him that opportunity. And you know, Junior's a smart guy. He's he was very entrepreneurial. I think he's still with us. I don't think he's passed away yet. But I sent, yeah, I think he is. I sent him a CD of because this is pre MP3s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I sent him a CD copy of the of the <laughs> interview. He was very appreciative of it, and really like I I really was glad that I had that opportunity. And there's just been a few great quirky celeb interviews I've been able to do over the years. I got even though it was only 15 minutes, Billy D. Williams last year before Rise, wow. of, you know, the summer before Rise of Skywalker comes out. Yeah, and that was fantastic. And um, you know, Bernie Bernie Capel, Doc from the Love Boat. Uh, and Siegfried from the Get Smart Show. I had a wonderful talk with him at the end of last year. Could not have been sweeter. And I really think he's a really underappreciated supporting actor comedian. Uh, and it was really fun talking to him. So those kind of thrills are, are among my non-nerd sphere conversations <laughs> that I've been able to have. Where it's like, God, I cannot believe I'm getting to talk to these guys. And these are not, well, with uh, Billy D. Williams is certainly an icon. But I would say that, you know, obviously Max Baer Jr., Bernie Capel, uh, there are bigger stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame than these guys. But I do think they're interesting and they have interesting stories. And I'm, I'm glad that I was up to the task of pulling these stories out of them and, and having these conversations. 
Yeah, well, that was definitely a, a memorable interview for me. It's Thank been you. a number of years, and I still remember it for sure. Yeah. Uh, th- there's another one I just wanted to, to mention because sure. I, I, I too, uh, it may have actually been you through listening to your show that turned me on to the fact that Dana Gould had a podcast. And I've, I've since listened to every single episode since I discovered it a few years Isn't ago. Isn't it a great show? Oh, oh man, it's, it's, it's just one of the best. I talk about great conversations that happen, and it's funny, and, and, uh, but you had the chance to talk with Dana Gould, and that would have been great just in itself. Uh, but then the fact that he was asked to do a, a graphic novel adaptation of Rod Serling's original script of The Planet of the Apes, I, I, that has to be a memorable moment. I 100%, think. man. No, and again, already appreciated Dana Gould as a stand-up, appreciated him as a comedy writer working on The Simpsons, um, and... Yeah, when Boom Studios sent me the press release, hey, we're adapting Rod's original screenplay, and we're getting Danny Gould to do it, because as you know, he's a massive Planet of the Apes fan, to the point where, as I'm sure you know, he will, he's got makeup friends in Hollywood, I forget the specific guy, but he actually has a Dr. Zayas yes. full <laughs> costume, and has the face, and makes himself up for public appearances as Dr. Zayas. As if Dr. Zayas were like an old Hollywood kind of, you know, ridiculous guy. Or as he like throws out like, you know, never find yourself in a gin game with Alan Alda. And it's just right. like, you know, in those great old Hollywood sort of ways <laughs> and, and that you hear on those old interviews and stuff. So, no, that was terrific. And, yeah, like you, I adore his podcast. It's great. He does deep dive conversations. Plus, we'll do these essays of great movies or weird yes. Hollywood stories or weird TV shows, and it's, oh my God, it's it's usually only comes out monthly, but it's so worth it, and it's a three-hour show, and it's like this great variety show podcast. So no, yeah. I, when, when the press release came out, I'm like, can I speak to Dana Gould? And they're like, yeah, we think we can make that work. And Dana was excited about the project, so he was happy to talk. And oh man, it was, yeah, it was a real thrill. And again, you know, maybe a C-list celebrity, maybe a B-list celebrity, certainly not. Uh, you know, a red carpet A-lister in any way, but really interesting guy, multifaceted, and happy to have that conversation. And also, he inspires me for what I'm trying to do with the podcast because it's what he's doing with his career. And that is, and you might do it as well as a musician, Rick. I don't know what obstacles you have, but it's essentially make your own opportunities. Mm-hmm. Don't wait around for someone to hand you this dream job. Make it yourself. And he talks about it on his show constantly. And I reminded him of that in our conversation as well. And I'm like, thank you for saying that. Because especially, I'm 55. And I don't feel like it's a death sentence or I'm too old to still be doing what I do. Quite the contrary. Uh, It is my experience that allows me to create my own opportunities. And I think that's really, really important for creative people is do not get down because and and perfect example, uh, losing the radio job in April, and people are like, mm-hmm. you okay? You know, like they were asking me like emotionally, like are you okay? I'm like, yeah, actually I am, because that's not what I got into do radio. I, I enjoyed the experience, but what I want to do is what I do with the podcast, and that's going fine. And I, I you know, putting it in movie uh, metaphors. I, I did a George Bailey, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, right now I'm out of radio, so if you you can help me. <laughs> Uh, and the and the audience responded, 
and yeah. and the and the comics community responded beyond. I mean, the audience has been great, but also the pros uh, are all like, "Hey, we love what you do. What can we do to help?" And I'm like, yeah. "Be on the show." I'm like, you know, hey, if you want to support the Patreon, that's great. I go, but you know, you're giving me the content by showing up. Be on the show. So, and I really during COVID, I've been upping the audio, uh, the episodes, um, just because I feel like, well, Christ, we're all stuck 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 inside. Let's um, what can I do to entertain you? What can yeah. I do to take your mind off the twenty four seven news cycle of despair? Yeah, that we're sub- subjected to, not to mitigate the importance of knowing what's going on, both the health concerns and the the political demonstrations that are going on, but to say, okay, remember what you like about nerd stuff? I'm here. I, don't worry. I, we'll have a fun conversation. It's going to be fun. Yeah. So yeah, there you go. Well, you know, I, and I want to I want to give you a chance too to talk about maybe if there is kind of one of your personal favorite moments, but I, I'm just going <laughs> to mention one one more sure. of mine. And, Those, and there's by the way, so the many. Ones the ones you've named, I absolutely would put on my list. I mean, there's there are probably I could easily name a hundred if I had to. But go ahead. Wow, that's great. Well, you know, and we lost him recently, but your conversations with Marty Pasco, I I just really enjoyed those because I've been, uh, you know, of all the heroes uh, over the years that that I've loved and. Uh, Superman, you know, has yeah. has always been a favorite, and and especially like classic Superman stories. And so I collect not just Superman comics, but you know, I try to find any of the figures or anything like that. And it was so much fun, you know, to get to hear Marty on your show talk about so many things, including uh, Superman, and and uh, that was. For me, those were just some of the great conversations, and of course with Denny O'Neill, and there's been some some great ones recently of these these greats that have passed away. Yeah, and I really feel like your conversations with people like that they're they're really they they have become part of um, part of comic books themselves, really, because where else would we have had a chance uh, to really hear from them in that way? We have their work, but I mean to just get to to hear them in that way and you you gave such a uh, a great platform for them and so i think many of us in the years to come are going to be so appreciative to to look back at things like that and go hey this is a really a historical record you know that we have of some really valuable conversations with with people and not just their work but actually hearing them so I, to me personally, those type conversations are just some of my favorites over the years. But I, I wonder if you have, do you have a a personal favorite moment that you just think like, wow, this was this was the one for me. You know, I'm I, I can die a happy man now. <laughs> well, I, I, honestly, Rick, I I am very blessed in terms of uh, there are so many conversations that I've had that I'm like, God, that went well. And, I, and again, I don't mean to sound like I'm patting myself on the back. It really is like, oh, thank God I was up to the moment and prepared and the the guest was enjoying themselves and we really got into an interesting conversation. Um, uh, Joe Straczynski, J. Michael Straczynski, mm. um, 10 years ago when he was writing Superman, um, we didn't know at the time, but apparently he had a, a real health issue where he thought he was going blind. And mm. so he had to pull himself off of the monthly book. Uh, I will admit that I also I was not a fan of what he was doing with the character. I had said a few things on the air, and also I was kind of disappointed not knowing that it was for health issues. It was just all of a sudden he's not writing the monthly anymore, 
And right. but they but because his name was on the overarching year plan story, they handed his Superman story to Chris Robertson, a good friend of mine. He was also doing a Wonder Woman story that was taking a year. Not um, the, DC really gave him full control over both characters to the point where they weren't appearing in Justice League stories at the time. They were taken off the the chessboard, if you will. And it was hmm. really Straczynski's story or nothing. And he wow. had very specific ideas for both characters. Um, and I felt like, wow, you know, you really screwed up everyone else. Nobody else can tell Justice League stories with these two characters because of what you're doing. Plus, you abandoned these books. I thought it was lousy, and I let it be known on my podcast. I see hmm. him at a convention... A Wizard Chicago, or no, a C2E2 in Chicago one year. He's signing at the DC booth, and I had never met him, and I'm a massive fan of his writing. I'm a massive fan of Babylon 5, and I re- uh, approach him, and I'm like, hi, Joe, my name's John Suntress. I, I do a podcast called Word Balloon, and he goes, I know who you are, in a very like hmm. a neutral voice, and I'm like, uh-oh, and he's like, I'll never do your podcast, and he walks away, and I'm like, oh, wow. oh man, okay, I, and I'm like, all right, well, I did say some things that weren't flattering and i rarely critique books okay so cut to was it last year i think it was last year or it was 28 yeah it was last year so he comes out with his book becoming superman mm-hmm. and his pr people are like hey would you like to interview joe and i'm like okay it was 10 years ago maybe he forgot maybe he, you know maybe he's put it behind him i have no idea and i'm like so i don't want to tip anything but i write back mm-hmm. to the pr people if Joe would like to talk to me, it would be an honor. And I meant that sincerely because I am. I'm a massive fan of Babylon 5. I think he's an excellent writer. I loved yeah. his Marvel work. Uh, I liked a lot of his other DC work, like when he was writing on Brave and Bold and things like that. So I was prepared for that conversation. I read the book cover to cover. They sent it to me in advance. I, it was all about his career. I mean, I even knew he wrote one of my favorite uh, 70s audio drama shows called Alien Worlds, a great – yes. Great. Okay, good. I'm glad you're aware of it. A great sci-fi mm-hmm. show. And uh, so I was ready. And uh, we had a great conversation. I knew his history with the 80s Twilight Zone. Oh, by the way, did you know I live in Charles Beaumont's house, one of the original Twilight Zone writers? No, I didn't. That's amazing, Joe. Things like, I mean, things like that were coming from the conversation very organically. So it was a great, I stuck the landing, putting it in pilot terms. I was yeah. very happy. And I get this great email back from his PR people going, hey, just so you know, Joe really enjoyed talking to you. And oh, I'm like, good. oh, that's great. Okay, so you see, people don't hold a grudge or he forgot or whatever. Who cares? So that was very yeah. – I would say in recent memory, beyond my friendships with Brian Bendis, with Marty Pascoe, I'm so glad you mentioned Marty. I love Marty. And I it seriously, <laughs> it really upset me. And in fact, I kind of cried at one of my closing uh, – things when I represented some of the episodes. Yeah. I left it in because I'm like, you know, I really want people to know that this was my friend and I am hurt and I'm yeah. sorry that he's not around anymore. And I really do. I miss that guy. He, um, I'll spend a second on Marty and say, uh, it disappointed me that, um, when people talked about bronze age writers, he was rarely in the conversation. And that happens to a yeah. lot of creators and especially a lot of pre 1980s creators. Because hmm. I, I just think the fandom, there was a very fervent uh, magazine fandom, but there wasn't, you know, like certainly the internet or by the time of the 80s when the magazines like, um, oh God, Amazing Heroes and the Comics Journal and stuff like that, Marty's name was just never in the conversation. 
And I'm like, and, and I met him, and he was very, very kind of shy and modest. Oh, people don't remember me. I'm like, are you nuts? And so, and really, there are guys like that. I have friends that are cartoonists that kind of have that aw shucks attitude about themselves. So it's like, no, man, you are great. And I am happy to be the loudspeaker saying, hey, this is Marty Pasco. I don't know if you know, but this guy wrote an amazing Superman. He wrote he wrote a, a great television shows. He was on the staff of Roseanne, for God's sakes. He wrote Simon, <laughs> Greg Rucka's favorite detective show, Simon and Simon. Marty wrote that show. I mean, he's, wow. he's just a really interesting guy and is a deep thinker and has a lot of opinions on a lot of different things. So yeah. over the course of our friendship, I did hours and hours of, of conversations with him on the radio, but also we would talk on the phone. I convinced him to go to a couple conventions with me, one in Cincinnati and one in Salt Lake City, and people loved him. He was the story editor of the Batman animated series. And, I mean, that was terrific when the, I think when Mask of the Phantasm, it was the 20th anniversary or something, uh, we were in Salt Lake City. And there was a full auditorium that was at, and he was one of the principal writers of that movie. And mm. massive applause. And he was so thrilled. And he's like, I, I can't believe people remember. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. they remember, dummy. I'm like, you know, he's a <laughs> And also, he's only like about 10 years older than me. So I just really felt this kinship. And by the same token, he would push me. What are you doing? How come you haven't written your book yet? And I, right now, yeah. I'm sure he's screaming at me in heaven right now. He said, come on, get off your butt. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> but, he, but that was great, honestly. And we would. We'd kind of push each other that way. And, man, you know, literally, like I said, uh, last time I had uh, any correspondence with him was at the end of uh, March. And he sent me a really funny email. And I know, John, I'm sorry. I've, I've got a headset. I'll, I'll talk to you. We'll talk in a couple weeks, I promise. And then he passed away. And it's like, huh. And I, he was kind of sick. Um, I don't know specifics, um, but yeah, I'm like, ah, oh, damn it, you know, I'm forgive me, but yeah, I'm just like, ah, oh. you know. So yeah, that sucks. Denny O'Neill, we knew he was sick. I mean, and it was sad, yeah. but we kind of knew it was coming. Uh, I'm yeah. glad I, I got to have the opportunity to have so many conversations with him, especially in the last couple years of his life. Uh, but yeah, Marty was a shock and a real disappointment. And I have other acquaintances that I consider friends that are a few years older from that bronze era. Uh, Elliot Magan, I'm going to talk to him on Wednesday as we're recording oh, this great. and have a new conversation with him. And yeah, especially during COVID and how seniors are so susceptible, I am kind of making the rounds with the seniors <laughs> that I know, not only in comics, but also friends and uh, my friends' parents and stuff. Hey, are you okay? And everything. And also, are you bored? Are you stuck by yourself? What can I do to entertain you? Paul Kupperberg is a buddy, and uh, and I want him on the podcast. And he had such a bad audio setup. I send him a headset for his birthday. I'm like, happy <laughs> birthday! Now we can broadcast normal. Put this on. We're gonna talk in a couple of weeks. And I did. I just sent it to him a couple of weeks ago or whatever. So wow. Anyway, so yeah, well, there. You go. So yeah, Straczynski it was a real like 180 degrees of. I guess I'll never talk to Joe Straczynski too. Wow, I got yeah. to talk to him. We talked for 90 minutes. I asked him all my Babylon 5 questions and all my Twilight Zone questions in addition to his comic work and his life. And, uh, yeah, I was very pleased with that. So, yeah, that's that's one. But like I said, literally, that's, true. that's one of 100 that I could easily rattle off. 
Well, you know that Straczynski. Uh, I always pronounce his name wrong. How Straczynski? However you say Straczynski. it. Um, yeah. Straczynski. Um, yeah, I actually went out and read his his book after that interview with him, and my goodness, talk about a, a man that had been through. It was just heartbreaking. Yeah. The first half of that book. I mean, I was I was almost in tears at parts. I just couldn't believe some of the abuse he'd been through. Yeah. So I was so glad that he came on your show uh, because that really led me to read his book. You know. It was to to find that and to find out more about him. And it, you're right; it, it was it turned out wonderfully. You conducted a great interview with him for sure. And I uh, I should have mentioned that one because it certainly was one of my favorites as well. Hey man, like I um, said, the ones you hit, I completely agree. Yeah. And I'm like, oh yeah, and seriously, like <laughs> it was an honor to talk to Dana Gould. It was great talking to Max Bear. So yeah, yeah, no, and again, Marty, you know, I love Marty, and I miss Marty. Well, that's terrific. Well, and I'm I'm glad you're going to be uh, talking with uh, Elliot yeah. S. Magnus too. You're probably going to at some point talk to him about the Miracle Monday book that he wrote uh, on Superman. Have you have you read that one? Oh yeah. Oh no, I read. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll be honest. I like Miracle Monday fine, but for me, Last Son of Krypton, the first book he wrote, even more so. I, I thought the same thing. Yeah. Oh, that's great because yeah, man, yeah. I'll tell you that one scene where Superman is just in some sort of like fever dream, and uh, Lex pulls him out of it. And he's like, and he even like was able to like in this fever dream have a conversation with Jor-El or whatever. And uh, and Luther's like, I saved you. I can't believe I saved you. And he's like, actually, I think you finally beat me because you took him out of this like moment with his father and everything and his parents. And uh, you know, and also just what I loved about it was it was all the Bronze Age, both books, A Miracle Monday as yeah. well, but all the great stuff about the Bronze Age depictions of Superman. But they really were written for a mainstream adult audience. Yeah. So, and I mean, like, and that's why, like, even Lex and Superboy being friends. And mm-hmm. that's the, like, it's a shame that the current continuity has eliminated that. Or I don't even know where, where we are with that. Because Jeff Johns has put it in slightly. I don't know if Brian acknowledges that or not. It doesn't matter. But it's a shame because that's kind of cool in that same way that Jason Todd and Bruce have that relationship where. It's like this is the hero's great disappointment, and that, yeah. like my favorite scene in uh, the Great Kingdom Come comic book that Mark Wade wrote and Alex Ross drew uh, when they're in Planet Krypton, like Planet Hollywood, all in their civilian guises, and it's Clark uh, Lois or Clark Diana, Wonder Woman, and, and Bruce, Batman having a lunch or whatever, and uh, Batman's keeping all the villains, and and Clark goes, "Hey, how's Luther?" And he goes, oh, I, tr- I caught him the other day sneaking into the Batcave trying to hack the computer and stuff. And he says, he says hello. And Superman brightens up and goes, really? And Bruce goes, no. And that's what I love. It's like, no, you dummy. Of course not. Yeah. But Superman wants to think of the good in everybody. So even yeah. there's like always this like hope in Superman that one day yeah. he and Lex will be friends and he'll like figure that out again. But again, yeah. it's, that, it's it's that kind of deep thinking about the characters. Again, I love that stuff. The one I've been my broken record of late, and I've been saying this for years, is the crazy relationship between Ben Grimm, the Thing, and Doctor Doom, because it hmm. goes their rivalry goes back, or not even a rivalry, but their hatred from each other stems from that same period of Reed and Doctor Doom being in in college together. Because Ben was in college too, but Ben was the big man on campus, the football star. And Reed and Doom were the science nerds. And I love when it's just Dr. Doom and the Thing, and he calls him Grimm, but the Thing calls Dr. Doom Vic. 
because he's Victor Von mm. Doom. And he's like, you know something, Vic, you're still that twerpy nerd that I hated in school. And by the same token, Doom is like, Grim, you're that jerk football numbskull that I hated in college and I still hate you today. And then they are still having that same FU kind of war between yeah. each other, even <laughs> as adult men now and stuff. And it's like when, when people tap into that, Brian did it when he was writing um, at Marvel still, and uh, and I love that. I do. I just think it's the yeah. funniest thing. And Graham Morrison did it at one point in a couple stories. And it is. It's always just little moments of just like like the thing, like before he's about to like wail on him, just like, you know, Vic, like I'm so tired of your act. We've been doing this since <laughs> college. We've been doing this dance since college. I am not yeah. impressed with you, ruler of the world. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> well, man, there's, you know, now that we're actually diving into actual comic conversation, I feel like we could go on and on. But you have been so generous with your time, and I really appreciate it today. I do want to ask you about one final yeah, thing have, before yeah, yeah, whatever, we end our... Whatever works for you time-wise, man. I, I don't want to yeah. keep you forever either, but uh, no, yeah, I'm sorry. Is... I, I ramble. I apologize. No, no, this is, you know what, it's it's why I love your show and I really enjoy it. It, it makes for a really easy interview when when the guest <laughs> talks, for sure. Uh, but no, I again, it's just, a, it's the John uh, Suntress fan club here today, for sure. So we're, I'm enjoying every word of it. Thank but you. Um, but I did just want to, as, as we start closing out yeah. on, on my end of the show today, um, how cool is it to actually be a, a character in the Marvel universe oh, as print as principal Suntress? I, I wonder if because I mentioned that at the beginning of the show and we didn't really go into sure. it there. I wonder if you could enlighten our listeners a little bit about that and kind of how it came about. It was the most delightful surprise and gift that Brian Bendis could ever give me. Uh, it started when Stuart Immerman was still uh, drawing the book and the character initially didn't look like me but was named after me. Uh, and it was when uh, in Ultimate Spider-Man when Peter Parker was still Ultimate Spider-Man before the creation of Miles Morales. But I did make a cameo with Miles. Uh, but yeah, it was insane to the point where after Ultimatum, I believe, was the event that the massive flood and tidal wave that like wiped out a lot of New York and um, some of the X-Men were displaced. And I'm blanking on – I know Iceman was one and I don't remember if it was mm-hmm. Firestar – or if it was Kitty Pride, maybe it was Kitty, but they like had nowhere to go. So because the uh, X Men, the Xavier's Mansion was wiped out, and so they they stayed with Peter, and so Aunt May had to go to the school and like let the principal know that uh, Peter's cousins need to be enrolled in the school, and it's this great intense scene that goes on for a couple pages, and it's great because it's so so classically comic booky where Principal Suntress leans into Aunt May and goes, look. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if your nephew is or isn't Spider-Man. And frankly, I don't want to know because I've mm-hmm. got a school to protect and a student body to protect. And it was great because it it felt very authentic to way, the mm-hmm. way I would be. And then other artists would come on the book and all of a sudden there's like a lunchroom uh, fight going on and I have to break it up. I do. Principal Suntress <laughs> is my doppelganger and Sarah Pichelli draws me. Or there was a scene where the PTA is yelling at the principal and you're not doing enough to protect our children. All these strange supervillains keep coming and attacking the school and he just yells at them. And really he's yelling at Aunt May in terms of, Hey, keep your, you know, the responsibility with your children, you know, starts and finishes with you. 
it's your job. And he's saying to the crowd, but he's really saying to Ann May. And Ann May is like, yeah, I, I understand he's talking to me. But as uh, my buddy Josh Flanagan from my event, fanboy said, he goes, man, your scene, Principal Sutch's scene, he goes, that was like six pages. I'm like, I know, it's insane. So I have, I don't have any original art from it. I really should bug the guys and women and Sarah and see if they still have yeah. pages. Um, but I do have the, uh, the the collected editions of those stories. Um, and Brian, of course, has been hilarious. And then it was hilarious because then they do an Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon, and uh, Clark Gregg, uh, as Agent Coulson, is placed in Peter's school to be the principal and keep an eye on Spider-Man and stuff. And I get mm-hmm. all these hilarious like listener emails or messages like, Oh, man, they took your job away from you, man. What's with Clark? Yeah, Greg, doesn't he have enough acting gigs? And I'm like, guys, come on. I'm like, I know. It's fine. It's it's okay. It's all right. And I've never met Clark, Greg, but I would love to tell him that story one day. But no, it was ridiculous. And, you know, oh, yeah. And then, then, yeah, with uh, Chris Somney drawing, there was like one last little thing. Because after that PTA thing, Principal Sartre's quits. But, um, Mm. yeah, there's a scene where uh, 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 Miles is, uh, like, on some, you know, crawling on a wall of some, like, you know, penthouse apartment or whatever, and he crashes through, and it's my apartment, and I'm in my bathrobe, and I'm watching, and apparently I'm watching Girls Gone Wild, which I would not do, but I do think it's hilarious that that's how I'm being depicted. And so, yeah, so he sees Spider-Man, and it's Miles, and he's like, uh, hi, and has no idea who he is, and of course my character faints. So I survived the flood, that's the good news, so... But I don't you know if, like, since the, the worlds have merged, if uh, Principal Suntra still exists in the Marvel Universe or not. But yeah, I should I, I should ask Joe Rubenstein to uh, draw me for my official Marvel handbook uh, page as sure, a character. Definitely. And stuff. <laughs> well, and what would be even greater is now that that uh, Brian Bendis is writing for DC, maybe there'll be an iteration, uh, you know, yes. over there somehow. Well, that, you know, when when Mike Norton was drawing of all books, my one of my favorite teams, the Justice Society. Um, I can't remember. Oh, I think Guggenheim was writing. I think Mark Guggenheim. But there was a mayor of a city that the JSA was based in, and it looks like me. And I have do have those original pages. And Mike, Mike absolutely, of course it's you. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. So I do exist in the DC universe as this uh, corrupt mayor of whatever town. So always a villain, never, uh, never a hero. I, I mean, I, oh, I, I, Bennett should put me, make me Bouncing Boy for the Legion. I'd be a good model for Bouncing Boy. I'm actually, now that I think of it, I'm going to have to text him and say, hey, before you wrap up and everything, can you can you make them, uh, can you make sure whoever's drawing Legion that they make it look like me for Bouncing Boy? That's right. That should be bouncing. <laughs> well, that would be amazing. <laughs> well, John, I just want to thank you again for for being my guest today on this show and and letting our listeners find out more about you, more about some of the great conversations. And I know that many people listening today, maybe they'll go over and check out Word Balloon. Uh, it's a great podcast. I, I really enjoy the conversations you have there. I do want to make one more plug for Patreon.com/slash/WordBalloon, uh, where you can go and support John and especially if you're digging what he's doing uh, again I know these are hard times uh, it's, it's affected all of us uh, but again if you're able to help John in any way uh, I just think that would be a first class thing to do to all of our listeners so as I say to my guests each week here on the show John Suntress thank you for being one of the voices in my head this week Rick you honor me with the uh, invitation thank you for letting me tell my story and thank you for 
your support of the show and what I try to do, and uh, and the nice plugs for uh, what I'm doing Patreon wise. No, it's a it's a pleasure to talk to you. If you if you need an, another uh, session uh, for another voice in your head, I'd be happy to come back. Definitely, would love to do that. All right, well, you take care, sir. Thanks a lot, Rick. Thank you for joining me here this week on Voices in My Head. I hope you'll visit me on my website at rickleejames.com where you can find out more about me, get my music on vinyl and CD, follow my blog, and even schedule me for a concert or a speaking engagement. Better yet, even a book signing in your neighborhood. You can find all that and more at rickleejames.com. Also, it would mean a great deal to me if you could write a review of this podcast on iTunes. The more positive reviews that we receive, the more visible this podcast will be online. And now, for the benediction. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. God bless you, and thank you for listening to Voices in My Head.